Right then, welcome to the Virtual Pair Programmers podcast where we're talking all things Java. This is episode number five, I think. Episode number five, and I'm Richard Chesterwood. And I'm Matt Greencroft. And I'm hesitant about number five because number four, where is number four? So we've recorded number four. And I'm sure I read something somewhere which says, never start with an apology. But it feels like we should apologise. We've not yet published number four. There are thousands of listeners wanting to know where number four is. I think you underestimate the number of listeners, Richard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what happened? Number four is done and it is pretty much ready to go. Um, Number four is an interview we made with Ian Massingham from Amazon AWS. He has a really impressive job title, something like Head of Worldwide Evangelism or something like that. He does, Um, So unfortunately, because of the way Amazon works, we need to get their sign-off before we can publish it to make sure that, I guess, he hasn't said something that they wouldn't approve of. We know he hasn't. I'm sure he knows he hasn't as well. Uh, But also, Um, I should to be fair, it was also stuck with us for a week because I thought you were sending it to Amazon and you you thought the opposite. So we we were both sat on it for a week. Yes. So so he's had it for a week to review. And I guess if when we come to record number six, we still haven't got it back, then we'll start being nasty about them. But (laughs) so far, it's more our mistake, maybe. So hopefully we'll have that out quite soon. Yeah. Um, it but, was quite a scary experience, really, talking with... I mean, he was a real expert in... I kind of thought he'd be a sort of sales person, mm. but he really did know every single AWS service. So we were on the back foot throughout. We were we were like... <laughs> several times we said, oh, our minds are blown. And what we actually meant was we can't think of a thing to say. Right. <laughs> I, it's funny, I remember about, probably about somewhere between 18 and 20 years ago, going to a Microsoft conference where they had these Microsoft evangelists, yeah. and they were bouncing all over the room, <laughs> full of energy, and isn't Microsoft wonderful? And um, actually, you're right, he was all about the technology yeah, and, yeah. you know, different... Which works different for experience. Us, yeah. works very well. And you could absolutely see, if you're a big company out there and is thinking of making a major change in architecture, mm. getting someone like that in, mm. uh, just to reassure you you're doing the right thing, talk you through options before you start... Uh, yeah, I, I was very impressed in that respect. Yeah. So looking forward to episode four, but let's get on with episode five then. And I think the main theme of this talk is going to be Kotlin. Indeed. So Kotlin, for those who don't know, is another language that runs on the JVM and off the JVM as well. But we'll maybe mention on that. Why Kotlin, though, is pretty much because we went to a meetup last night um, I think we've mentioned meetups before. So these are community-led get-togethers publicised through meetup.com. Uh, there's loads of them all over the world. And there's one that happens in Leeds, which is where we're based, called That JVM Thing. Yeah. It's organised by a local recruitment agency, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it's interesting because you get to meet a lot of the big companies locally or people from the big companies uh, working as active developers. And last night was a session about Kotlin. Mm-hmm. I think it might be worth just commenting before we even talk about Kotlin. They started off the session by asking you to raise your hand oh, um, yeah. just to see whether you were actively doing different things. And I would estimate it's probably about 100 people in that room. And okay. of those, how many people are coding up Java? Pretty much everyone raised their hand. Yep. How many people are being paid to code up Java? Again, pretty much everyone. Yep. Um, and then they talked about we other. <laughs> <laughs> they talked other JVM languages, so Groovy, Scala, 
uh, and then Kotlin. Mm -hmm. um, and what was interesting, actually, was that certainly Groovy was there. There was, it was a, I was surprised how many hands were raised up, okay. actually, for Groovy. Scala, again, had a handful, wasn't a massive amount. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe this is stupid to say because it was obviously the topic of the talk, but there were more Kotlin developers or people okay. experimenting with Kotlin. Right. The number of people being paid oh, okay. to develop was Kotlin was smaller. Um, and, but I, I found it an interesting talk, and we're certainly, or I'd like to go away now and mm -hmm. build something with Kotlin. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a bit about, I guess, what we discovered why it's something that might be of interest to our listeners. Yeah, so the uh, the, the, the the chap who presented uh, Kotlin, uh, are, we, 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 are we allowed to name him when we, we don't know him? So. Well, his name's publicly on the internet oh, connected with the And, thing, of so. course, we'll put on the show notes a link to his slides. So this yes. was Andy Bowes uh, presenting for the JVM thing. I forget which company he works for. He was... um, I'm trying to remember as well. If it comes back to me while we're recording, I'll say it out loud. So. Right <laughs> and what I don't know is if... So he, he the, the, the crux of his presentation was, um, I mean, we'll talk about what in a moment why we think other JVM languages exist. You know, why don't we just stick with Java? But his, uh, um, the way he structured the presentation was, uh, Josh Block has written the, one of the best books on Java called Effective Java. I'm sure many of our listeners will have read it. If not, definitely buy a copy. Well, should you not buy it just yet? Just hold off because, yeah, it's in edition two and that's been out for years and edition three is due out in October. Um, but, yeah, every Java developer should should have a copy of this book. Can I just say, before we go, Richard is holding a yeah. copy right I'm, now. I'm clutching it. I suspect I'm going to need it many times on, on, this, uh, on this podcast if we get technical. Um, and the, the, so the angle of the presentation was there are many best practices that Josh Block identifies, and some like 75 rules that you should follow. And he was saying that Kotlin has absorbed those rules. So Kotlin has the, you, you don't really need to follow these rules anymore because Kotlin will make you follow those rules. Now, what I don't know is, is that just his perspective or have the Kotlin, the people who invented Kotlin, did they sit down and think the way we're going to design this language is by following Josh Block? I'm not sure which of those two it is. No, I mean, the inventors of Kotlin are Jet, the people behind Jet, sorry, JetBrains is the company. So it's the people behind the IDE called IntelliJ. Mm -hmm. And as I understand it from what was said last night, it was uh, they created this language because they were having issues with Java and therefore wanted a a language that better suited their needs. So part of the IntelliJ IDE is developed in Kotlin. Yes. That's where it came from. They subsequently open sourced it. Um, the way he described it is that what Josh Block identifies as being best practices are really weaknesses in Java that he believes are a good way of overcoming those weaknesses. Yes. And so he presented it as Kotlin overcomes these Oh, okay. This is a Java. Okay. So, so it's almost like by accident rather than by design. They, they haven't slavishly followed Josh Block or anything like that. But it, it, either way, it was a very nice way of structuring the presentation, yes. I think. It was yes. very good. So throughout, you would have a slide. Again, they'll be in the show notes, but he put a slide up. He'd show a bit of Kotlin code. And at the bottom, he would put a reference to, and this is upholding item number 74 of Josh Block. Be a, be a really nice way of doing things. Yes. So, um, Good on you, Josh, and good on you, Andy. So, uh, 
So I guess the first thing possibly just to mention then is that um, it's made by the people who make the IntelliJ IDE. Mm -hmm. And although there wasn't a demonstration of it in IntelliJ particularly, and we haven't had a chance because this was literally last night mm -hmm. to have a look at it in any detail, it seemed that there were a lot of, there's a lot of functionality built into IntelliJ specifically to aid your development yes. with Kotlin. So as an example, and they were stressing you probably wouldn't use this much, but it just shows the power. Um, Kotlin is fully interoperable with Java. And one of the things you can do is take some Java code, and from what I understand, highlight it, click a button in the ID, <laughs> and it will convert it to Kotlin code. Yeah. So that level of functionality is built into that IDE. And he did say, of course, one of the reasons they've open sourced this and they want people to take on Kotlin is because it will hopefully help them, help them sell more copies sure, of the IDE. Sure, um, Which makes sense. I think that's know? a good thing as yeah. well. We need, we need commercial pressures like that to make people innovate. And we could get political and talk about why the development of Java is so glacially slow. There were several points made in that talk about there, there are some really good features in Java 10 that we're waiting <laughs> for, and we have no, there's no roadmap. We have no idea when Java 10's ever going to land. Yes, and you know we can't wait that long for for really important features that should be should be part of really any modern language. Absolutely. So the fact that the the JetBrains, I don't know a lot about JetBrains, so I'm sorry. I did I did a little bit of. Uh, dealing with them about, gosh, a long time ago, maybe, maybe 10 years ago, and they came across as thoroughly, you know, really nice people. Uh, but they are true developers, so they know what it is to develop code. They're not committee managers. And so, yeah, they, they, they innovate. So, so one of the things I want to go off and do anyway is just understand how Kotlin might work with other IDEs. So, mm -hmm. you know, we, we've done all of our courses, with the exception of the Android course, which we're going to mention Android in a second, but we've done all our courses using Eclipse. Yes. Um, primarily, I guess, because it's free, it's easy to obtain, it, it's, it is used in production environments. Well, really, it's... all the IDEs now are free and easy to obtain. Um, most of them, anyway. Well, so IntelliJ, you see that IntelliJ has a community edition, which is yep. free and easier to obtain, and Kotlin is fully integrated into the community edition. And they have a professional version, which you can buy a license for. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll confess, I've only ever attempted to use IntelliJ in recent times uh, to work with a Grails project. And unfortunately, I was using the community edition, and Grails integration yep. is really only supported in the paid-for version. So... Depending on what and unless you're doing, you've done Grails, it, it might be difficult to get that across, but you really do need some commercial tooling to help you with that. But I would say that's an exceptional case yes. if you were working... Oh, and Android as well, possibly. But if you're working on a Spring project, for instance, the yes. Community Edition will, will, yeah. will, be, will be beautiful. It, I think that we do get... We're planning a future podcast on IDEs, and yes. I'm not actually sure if if we'll have enough materials to fill a podcast, to be honest. But it is a controversial choice. We, we, we fairly regularly get people saying, why aren't you using IntelliJ? Um, and it, well, the reasons why was just at the time the company launched, Virtual Pair Programmers launched, it was by far and away Eclipse was the most commonly used on professional projects. So it was just sort of a no-brainer. I think probably NetBeans would have been the big competition really? then. Yeah. IntelliJ was kind of a distant third. My sense, 
as usual, I don't have figures, but my sense is that Intellige are really knocking the ball out of the park at the minute, really kicking some backsides and doing really good business, I think, yes. and really coming up. It, it does seem whenever we go on these sorts of meetups where you meet lots of developers who are actually doing development at the meetup. So, yeah. you know, we, we go to quite regularly to another of these meetups where they set you a programming challenge and you choose what language you're going to mm -hmm. do it in type thing. And a lot of people there are certainly using yeah. IntelliJ, aren't they? There's so. a very real sense. Again, I'm probably using material from, from a future podcast here, but there's a very real sense that eclipses. You're not a... I don't know if to put this the right way, but yeah, not a proper developer if you're using it. <laughs> proper developers it, are on IntelliJ. It's a bit like if you're going to edit a text file, unless you're planning to use, <laughs> what is it, is it Emacs or VI, whatever it's called, which I, I cannot use. I, I always use Pico or Nano. I yeah, can't yeah. use that awful editor. But that's what makes you a proper developer. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> um, I, well, we'll, we'll save that then save for, that, for a so future and... and um, but, but I'm yeah, sure you can do Kotlin on any of the ideas. You can. But um, so, IntelliJ's tooling will naturally be... Yes, the place to, to go, uh, I guess. Yeah. So, and the, the other thing, though, is, as we said, is it's not just IntelliJ, but it's also Android Studio, which we use on our couple of Android courses. Mm -hmm. And Kotlin is available as a, what do they call it, a first-level language now for Android development. Yes. It didn't sound like, actually, it's fully there just yet, but it's pretty close. Okay. Um, now, we don't, you know, we have a little bit on Android. We're not planning to do much more on Android. And they were stressing that it's not just for Android. It's for mm. back-end server development as well. You can build REST web services with Kotlin. Mm. And we, you know, if we do a course on Kotlin, we'll look at some of that, yeah. probably more from the back-end side. Mm -hmm. But um, the what they were saying was the fact that Google have made it a first-level um, language for Android will obviously help its uh, adoption mm -hmm. and also it's available uh, out of the box now for Spring Boot from the Spring yes. Initializer yes. so it's very easy to get started with a Kotlin application. And it will be very tightly integrated with Spring 5 as well. Yes. So I believe you can configure your um, so the equivalent of Java config, which I think is absolutely horrible, and Java is not not a good tool for doing configuration. Kotlin, much cleaner and simpler. I, I think I haven't seen any of that yet. I will have soon, but clearly, it's very well supported. Kotlin, yes. it's, it has it has some big players behind it, and all of the big frameworks are in some way things like Maven and Jenkins. According to the slides, we haven't tested this, but according to the presentation, they're just supported. It yes. I mean, It'll just work. It, it, I mean, to be fair, actually, you did show a Gradle script working with Spring Boot, didn't mm -hmm. you? But, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I suppose it's worth saying then. So we'll, we, I want to talk, actually, about well, why would you even consider another language and why Kotlin? But yes. before we get to that, it, it compiles to completely compatible mm -hmm. Java bytecode, so you can create JAR files. He didn't mention WAR files, but I'm sure if you can create a JAR file, you can create a WAR file. Um, and the he was saying fully interoperable, so you can call Java code from Kotlin code, Kotlin code from Java code. So and it and then we'll talk about what's wrong with Java if you like and what what they've changed. But it it he explained it brings together some of the best features of other JVM languages like Scala and Groovy. And you could certainly see some of that in Absolutely. The, uh, if you've examples. done any Groovy, for example, and we have a Groovy course, if yes. any, I always have to put a plug in for my course. We, <laughs> well, we a, like Groovy, to be fair, don't we? We do a lot of Groovy. Yeah, um, Groovy has its faults, um, but 
once you've done a little bit of grooving, you start thinking functionally and you, things like closures become everyday and become yes. natural. And so many things in, in Kotlin I recognise from Groovy. And it's yeah. just like a no-brainer. Great. I'm glad that's in there, but I don't have to worry too much about it. So it's a... Yeah. And, to, and yet one of the, you know, one of the things that if you've done Groovy, one of the things that differs, if you like, which just felt nice to me, was the fact that it's a statically typed language. So yeah. every variable is defined as a string or an integer, but it has... Uh, what was the word inference? Type inference. Type inference. Yes. So, yeah. so you don't have to say this is a string, but there's no concept of the dynamic typing that Groovy has, yes. which is a nicer way of doing things, I think. Yes, it, it is. A, way, it, well, it, it's a very a bit of a religious thing to whether you prefer dynamic or static typing. And, you know, my first language was one of the most statically typed languages that's ever existed. So I'm very much into that way of thinking. Yeah. I enjoyed working with Groovy. And I enjoyed the, the freedom that the dynamic, the duck typing gave me, but I never felt comfortable. I was always nervous that I'd mixed object types up somewhere. And you do with the best will in the world when you're running groovy code. I'm going to go at groovy. I'm just talking about dynamic uh, typing. You, you, you are at runtime going to get more runtime exceptions that would have otherwise been caught at compile time in a statically typed language like Java or Kotlin. So I'm going to feel more at home with Kotlin than I ever did in Groovy, personally. Yeah, and some of the other things, I mean, let's just mention maybe two or three then of the other things that impressed you or I about Kotlin compared to moving from the, gra the, the Java stand starting point. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I quite liked was um, if you're creating a typical Java class that's going to represent an object, uh -huh. so you've got data fields, uh -huh. um, you know, we always create a hash code, an equals, a two string, <laughs> constructors, uh, all of that in Kotlin is done for you. Uh -huh. Now, he was making the point that all IDEs can generate that code oh, for yeah. you as well, yeah. but the point is that you don't generate the code. So if yeah. you're creating a plain old Java object, a Pojo class, um, right now in Java, sorry, if you're doing it in Kotlin rather, you would literally have your list of your fields, your attributes yeah. for the class. Everything else exists out the box, but you never see it. Mm -hmm. And the nice thing about that is that if you then create a method in that class, when you go to review your code, that method isn't hidden amongst all the junk yeah. of your getters and setters and your yeah. two string and so on. Um, there's other benefits to that as well, but you know, to me, that's nice. It means you can glance at a code. I mean, we, we, I'm sure everyone does. We have classes where you know there's a method in there somewhere, yeah. but you're searching and searching to yeah. find it. Um, Any, I, I think as a, a rule of thumb in programming, it, it served me well for 25 years, and I'm sure it'll last another 25 years, is anywhere where you have to generate code, there is something really badly wrong. Generating code is a bad fix for a problem. Yes. Um, so, and I, and I was slightly surprised that the presenters last night were all very, you know, they were being very careful to explain why it's not a good solution to just right-click and generate equals <laughs> and hash code and all that. I didn't, I didn't actually sense any antagonism in the room, no. and I don't think there should be. But clearly, it's the case that a lot of programmers are very happy with that. You know, I can generate it. No, I don't need to go to another language, but. 
I'm, you know, he was he was preaching to the choir last night. I think definitely that absolutely, yeah. Boilerplate code is 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 just the worst. Ruins Indeed. the language. Indeed. So that's one of the nice things. Mm-hmm. Um, the I guess the big thing for me is it does a lot to reduce the likelihood of getting null pointer exceptions. Right. Um, now. We're going to get a bit in knots if we try and talk about this too much, so we'll have yeah. to be careful. But the when you define a variable in Kotlin, by default, if you set up a string, for example, by default, <coughs> that string cannot contain a null value. Mm-hmm. You have to explicitly say that this is a nullable string yes. when you define it. And there is a it's a very easy syntax to do it. You're just using question and adding a question mark on to do that. But the the combination of that, so by default, you can actually specify variables can't be null. Mm-hmm. And also that it has, I'm pretty sure this comes from Groovy, doesn't it? The ability to, when you're, say, got an object, you're doing object.property, you can do object question mark.property, which then would return null if the property is null. Mm-hmm. Or um, So, so it would, it's a way of avoiding a null point exception. You, you can say, this could be null, and if it is, that's okay. Yes. But you can chain them in Kotlin. You could have a whole long string of object question mark dot method question mark dot whatever, um, which is very hard to explain orally, which is what we're trying to do here. But it, there were features there that built in to minimise the risk of getting a null pointer exception, and I like that. I'm slight. I'm always slightly concerned. I mean, you probably know this from Groovy that you get a null pointer exception, and so you go and look at the code that generate uh, that that raise that exception and there's i've seen it happen i don't do this honestly <laughs> i've seen it happen where i would just slam a question mark in then and then an old pointer exception goes away and actually all you've done is you've just th- you've just moved that null up to another level yes. so i get slightly concerned when i hear that but actually i think the yeah the the, the fact that a variable is not nullable by default is a very good pattern. Yes. I must admit, I hadn't picked up on that until the talk last night. I hadn't noticed that in Kotlin before. I think that's a very powerful... uh, It it sort of, it forces you, as you're building your variables, to think about, could this ever be null? Exactly. And And really, it shouldn't be. Why should a variable be null? It means there's nothing there. Well, if if you're creating a customer object and you've got the date the customer left, and yeah. they haven't yet left. How well, would you deal with that without it being null? Well, there's there's better ways, isn't there? And null is a is a bad. It's just you know, <laughs> it's a no. Yeah. No, no, And <laughs> I don't know how well that comes across on an audio, on a podcast. Yeah, but it's, you can't see which is faces he makes. It's that woolly. It's a woolly. Yes. It's a it's woolly thinking to use nulls and. And I mean, especially methods that return null. I, I that that I think is a very bad. You've got a method that says it's going to return a customer object, then it should return a customer object. Returning yes. null is just saying, well, I've failed, but I'm, kind of, no, I'm not bothered. Have a null. And that's where null pointer exceptions arise. Yes. Uh, so there's a lot of woolly thinking around. And, and the fact that they're tightening this up, I mean, obviously, Scala has done this and other languages have done yes. it. And actually, one of the um sort of it's not quite a it's more more of a pattern i think it's in josh block's book where he suggests you shouldn't return a null you should return an object representing a null right and therefore the 
sometimes just moves the problem up a layer. But so yes, it's 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 good that this is built in and it's yes. been thought about properly. Interestingly, of course, Kotlin has an object that that represents an exactly. Object. So, so everything exactly, yes. is. A, let's not. <laughs> no, no, we're not going to do that. If if you want, um, again, we'll put a link <laughs> on the show notes. But try.kotlin.com yeah. is. Fantastic. That is a brilliant web page with a built-in IDE where they, they have worked examples down the left-hand side. And uh, the, the guy last night said it'll take you about a day to work through it and you'll be yes. a reasonable, if you're coming from Java, actually you'll be a decent Kotlin developer yes. by, by the end of that session. So Indeed. it's as easy as that to get started. And, and I guess actually part of that then is that because it's sort of built on top of Java, if you like, or you can think of it as that way, in your head is that because it's fully interoperable and you can convert convert from Java code to Kotlin code, that the point there is that although you can do that, it's not idiomatic yeah, yeah. Kotlin. So you, you shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. And there will be a great example there, which is that and it, there wasn't too much detail on this last night. And I'm, I don't know if this is one of the things that's still in development in Kotlin, but whereas you might do threading in Java, they will have a different concept to do it oh, in yeah. Kotlin of asynchronous mm -hmm. calls. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so I didn't get a sense of whether that's still in development or whether it's there just yet, but um, it is obviously an evolving language still. Mm -hmm. um, but the other big thing, I guess, is functional programming. Mm -hmm. Is um, you know we, we covered that in our advanced Java course when it was launched in Java eight, and it is having done functional programming with Groovy. Certainly, the Java version is. Um, a bit of a fudge in a way, you know, to, to achieve functional programming, you're mm. implementing interfaces, right? Yeah. So it's a little bit of a fudge to make it fit within the Java language. So Kotlin have done it in a better way. So yeah. you have the genuine choice of object-oriented, functional, or a mixture of the mm. two in a Kotlin mm. project, and yeah. it looked quite nice. It's funny that, um, and his slide last night, if I remember rightly, said that functional in Java is a bit of an afterthought. Actually, I'm looking at the slide right now, it's right in front of me. But uh, it is a funny thing that, and I must admit, I was very, very impressed with uh, the implementation in Java 8 of Lambdas. Very impressed. I thought it was going to be a dog's breakfast a bit like generics was, a total mess. Yes. And I think they did a pretty good job. And yet I can't quantify this at all. But when I am doing day-to-day -day Java code, I never think of using lambdas. It just doesn't feel, it doesn't occur to me to use it. And then I switch to something like um, Scala or Groovy, probably for us more likely, and you know, no problem, you're banging closures around all over the place. So... so but I think that's because within so within Java, unless you're using streams, yeah. your closures are can't mutate the value of a yeah. variable. Now, the, the times when we tend to use closures, in, or at least when I tend to use closures in Groovy, it's to loop through something to do a calculation. That tends to be a typical example. It's not always, but... The fact you, you'd have to use a stream in Java to do that just makes yeah. it that little bit I'm more complex. Admit, I still don't fully understand the streams business in Java. No, but well, again, that, that's an illustration of how it, it's, it's, yeah, it's something of a fudge, as you say, in, in Java. Yes. And certainly looking at the, the code last night, it just, in Kotlin, functional, very natural, quite straightforward. And, and very readable. So even if you have never seen Kotlin and somebody shows you some Kotlin code, you're coming from a Java background, yeah, you need maybe a minute's worth of explanation of a couple of the keywords, yeah, but you yeah. can read that code and understand what it's doing. It's very readable. Sure. Um, Perhaps the only, uh, we've gone back to, I think it's called Pascal's style declarations, where it's 
you know, in Java it's C style, which is int variable. In Kotlin, it is um, like it was, function colon. It was yeah, so it's variable type. colon data type. Data colon data exactly, type. Yeah. Yes. So back to the Pascal days. But of course, you don't have to specify the data type because it can be inferred. So yep. that's optional. But yes, it's uh, and I wonder why they made that choice actually, because it is a different. Uh, it's a very that is a very different structure. Yeah, and Scala fact, does say. Th that is consistent. So even when you're creating a method, which in uh, Kotlin is called a function, or um, fun, or fun, yes, fun. exactly. Uh, Kotlin is fun, full of fun. Um, the, the structure of that. So you're whereas in Java you would be doing uh, your return type before your method name. Well, I think in I think in Kotlin it's the other way around. The return type comes at the end. Of the method name, um, so yes. So I'm looking at an example from uh, Andy's slides on screen, actually, which is creating a method called to camel case. The return type is a string that comes at the end of the function declaration line rather than at the beginning. So okay. it, it's a consistent yeah. restructuring there. But that's you know very easy at least to see it and understand it. And I'm sure you'd get very familiar with that very yeah. quickly. Yeah. So. Interesting. So I think we're certainly, well, I'm planning to go off and I've actually got a little project to do anyway uh, to do with one of our internal reporting modules that we use, um, which I'm going to have a go at writing that in Kotlin just to experiment with. Mm -hmm. um, certainly, I sat there last night thinking, this looks really good. It's got all the, the pleasure of Groovy without the pain. And there's obviously more yeah. to it than that. But I have to mention the S word that was um, a few people... One of the questioners was was clearly a Scala expert, and but other than that, Scala wasn't much mentioned. But one of the presenters, I can't remember if it was Andy or the other guy who was presenting, uh, said it was quite a nice, nice pithy little statement of, you know, well, Kotlin has been developed by software developers who develop software, not some academics. Yes. I'm sure that must have been a dig at Scala. So I, it feels to me very much like this is Scala, but just made a bit gentler. Yeah, I think that was the second guy, which might be yeah. interesting. So the second guy worked for a major broadcasting company that has a very big development center in Leeds where we're based. And they have created an app in Kotlin. Uh, so they're using it in a production scenario yeah, for Android yeah. development. And they're recruiting. And they are recruiting. Kotlin. So. Um, we can say who they are, can't we? Yeah, I'm sure we can. They're, they're called Sky. Um, Which are, uh, so that wouldn't be known well, well would it? Um, I'm not sure. So it's part. So it's they. They run the only major satellite television broadcasting company in the United Kingdom, and I th they also run that throughout Europe, I believe. Uh, but they also provide broadband and telephone services, all that yeah. kind of stuff in the UK as well. Um, but they commission television programmes, they have their own television channels, so they were very yeah. big media And company. the way they did it, and I, this is the way it's, it's going to be, I think, for most, I mean, no one's going to s switch to Kotlin for their entire development overnight and convert all their existing no. codes. So it, it, they, they had one area, one subsystem or whatever, that they built purely in Kotlin yes. from the ground up. I yes. think it's their, my account. That's right. So it's like a sort of billing type management app for. So it's an app that sits yeah. on your phone that the customers are going to use. Yeah, and they've clearly enjoyed it, and 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 
sounds like they've developed it far quicker than they would have done in Java. Yes, he felt it would make them a lot more productive simply because you write less code yeah. because of all this boilerplating. If for no other reason, I'm sure there's other reasons as well, but he felt it was a very easy learning curve and they, you know, that they are, mm -hmm. they're very pleased with it. Um, which again, is nice to see something like this being used by a major company in a production environment. It gives you the reassurance it's a stable language that you can actually start switching to and yeah. using. We've got to be a little cautious. I guess new things always have this honeymoon period where everything's wonderful and we're going to be this much quicker. And, and only when you're a couple of years down the line do you start to feel... I mean, I felt exactly the same about Grails a number of years ago, and you won't find me evangelising about Grails these days, and to a lesser extent Groovy as well. Um, so are we, we've got to be a little bit cautious, I think, not to get too fanboyish about it. So I agree, but what, I guess the fact that Google are effectively now promoting and supporting Kotlin uh, means that I mean, this is always the question, right? Do you adopt something like this? I mean, we adopted Grails years ago, and unfortunately, the Grails project has, for various political reasons, uh, very much faded into the background. And, you know, nobody starting a new project now. Well, I would assume very few people starting a new project now are going Contra to choose Grails. Controversial. controversial. We're going to get letters from the Grails. <laughs> People, yeah, that's uh, bad. But, you know, we, we said on our Groovy course there'll be a Grails course coming soon. Now, that course was written a few years ago, and we never did the Grails course. Actually, at the time, we were waiting for a new version of Grails to come out, yeah. and Grails was known for each new version broke something. It was never forward compatible. And yeah. the new version got delayed, and then actually, in that process, we saw the community you know, having a severe decline. So yeah. it never became a viable course for us yeah, to do. Yeah, and that's it. You don't know in advance that that's... So I, I do think that the, the, the way Grails... And I'm, I'm not sure about Groovy. I mean, you've got to have breaking... A vibrant language has got to have breaking changes. Yes. Java has been... I, I think it's very praiseworthy that Java have been very good at not having breaking changes. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why Java's development is so slow. If you want to add anything new to the Java language, you've got billions and billions of lines of legacy code to consider. How does it fit in with all of the other things? And and they and, and but they have been really quite admirably reluctant to break things. until now because Java nine is going to break things. Uh, well, we're not somewhat clear, are we, as to the, what the extent of the break is? But no. I mean, what well, they were talking about, they've got in a command line switch to allow you to not break it for now, yeah. but by Java 10 it'll break, it seems. So, I'm yeah, we don't know when that's going to go. still don't but... understand that fully, but you know, certainly until now they've been very admirable about that. Yes. But the downside of that is you end up with lots of cruft and lots of things that should be removed. So striking a balance is, is, is probably the right way to go. Um, and certainly with Grails, their attitude to, so you, you'd have, I forget the version numbers, but two, two point something, and then two point something plus one, so it's a point release, would break everything because they've renamed a package somewhere, and they've broken every single plugin in the world for Grails. And it's that kind of mismanagement that... That, that I think caused them to lose the goodwill. And, 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 and so we have to hope this kind of thing doesn't happen with Kotlin. I'm sure it won't. I'm sure no. it'll be well managed. And, but it's, it's 
what I'm trying to say, and I'm stumbling around this a little bit, is it, it's things not at the technical level that are the, the important things in the future. Yes. So I hope it's uh, going to be well managed. Yes, I guess one of the other things that will be as Java updates, because this is compatible with Java, it's got to update to stay compatible. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that was being mentioned last night is that on the Android platform, um, Android is, com or the most of Android is compatible with Java 6. They, they never moved a lot of it onto 7 and 8. So I, right. my understanding, and I'm, I'm not an expert on this by any means, but I certainly got the impression that one of the issues on the Android side is that you can't do, for example, lambdas okay. in an Android application because that functionality is not in the version of the equivalent of the JVM that sits in the Android platform. Um, they, they're sort of stuck on Java 6. Now, I, I'm not entirely sure on that, but there were some issues around that which Kotlin sort of hmm. sourced because they're explaining that Kotlin has extra libraries to allow you to use everything in Java 6 and the Java 7 and 8 features. So yeah. it was a bit confusing that for me. But um, I guess the issue with Android actually, of course, is that you've got older devices that can't be upgraded, which you are trying to build. Of course, when you build an Android application, you have to specify the version of Android yeah. you're building for. Well, if there's a significant number of Android devices that can't be upgraded past Java 6 compatibility, mm. and that is probably a majority still, um, that's your issue, I'm guessing. So anyway, so we're getting a bit technical about things I don't really know, so I should stop talking there. <laughs> well, if we're running out of steam on Kotlin, I thought we were going to get a lot more technical. Um, <laughs> things like final classes, that was the thing that really piqued my interest okay. last night. So all, all classes in Kotlin are final by default. Yes. Which and, um, and variables can be defined as immutable or mutable. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that, that, that today has to be a... Can I do a rant here? Um, because... You know, this is this is where Java's going so wrong. There are fundamental low-level features that should be added and wouldn't be breaking. You should have, in this day and age, support for immutable variables. Um, and yet, Java doesn't have it, and it doesn't look like it's ever going to have it. And why can't they? Why can't they add that? That they, they can't use backwards compatibility as an argument against it because they're doing the, the jigsaw stuff, massive ivory tower re-engineering, and yet they can't sort out things like that. So yeah, we've got to go to languages like Kotlin or Scala, just so we can have a keyword val and a keyword var, so we can decide: do we want this to be a variable or do we want it to be an immutable? Yes, um, it's. It's a no-brainer today in a in a language, and especially. It's, I mean, it's obvious that if you're, you know, if you're thinking, I mean, how how much of our work now concurrency is important? Yeah. You know, you're building websites. You're, you you've got to have immutable variables. Yeah. It's critical. And I'm sure some people might be thinking, well, we've got put the use final in Java. Now we won't do it here because it's not the right medium. But on our um, on our advanced Java course, we talk about why final is absolutely not is not. <laughs> doing it's not doing what a lot of people think it's doing it, it's um you, you, you can't finalize and you can't make an object be immutable in java all job java objects are mutable unless you've very carefully designed it not so and it's just awful yes. and it needs language support but not in java so yeah all classes are final i'm trying to i'm trying to tease you on this one but um <laughs> that that was um so, yeah, it... there's a lot. There's a lot, obviously, to Kotlin, and we, you know, we've just touched on the 
um, the very basics here clearly because all we've had is one well I've had is one person well I have done I've gone through the, um, yeah. the the try.kotlin.com is as far as I've gone and I don't remember every bit of it I thought yeah that's good yeah I need that I want that lovely I don't remember any kind of clunking of gears where I thought oh what have they done there I think the only thing I, I, I bristled about was that classes are final by default so I'm going to draw you into this classes are final by default in Kotlin uh, in Java classes are not final now I don't think anywhere in any of our courses we've ever talked about final classes ever right um, and many development shops and interestingly Josh Block's book basically recommends that you should make all classes final and so I thought we'd do a little because we do yeah, some technical stuff in so a final so we'll do the old thing of where yeah, you so, interview so the, me and tell us benefit, about <laughs> for the benefit of our listeners not for my benefit well, well so just remind us what effect does making a class final have a final class means it cannot be extended okay so if I am creating, let's say, for example, and I want to give a genuine example, actually. So I have a system we use for, to manage our accounts. Yeah. So we have a number of different bank accounts. So I have in this system the example of a bank account class, and then I am extending that to create different types of bank accounts. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm doing. Yeah. So how would if, if my underlying bank account class can't is got to be final, so I can't extend uh -huh. it, What's the reason why either that's a bad architecture or what would be the better way to do it? So, <laughs> oh dear, and it's not always a great, the, the, you know, podcast isn't always the... Um, I, I've always been in the camp of, um, I mean, there, there are sort of two camps, that inheritance should be open, and the other camp is that inheritance should be closed. So open inheritance means if you write a class without any extra a normal class it should be extendable right it should be a, anyone could take it and extend it, it. yeah uh, and the closed camp think the opposite classes should be not extendable unless the author of that class has allowed it to be so okay so they would have to put a key and that's what happens in kotlin if you want a class to be extendable in the future you put the key i think it is the keyword open yes i think, that's, I yeah. think it was yes the keyword open. Now, I've, I've always been, possibly until last night, actually, and it kept me awake a bit, this, as well, I was thinking about this. I've always been in the open camp. And my reasoning for that was, how can you possibly know you've written a class and you are now going to make this decision that I am going to allow future generations to extend this class? Or the opposite, I am going to, I think this class is never going to be extended. Maybe it's so perfect, it could never, I could never get my head around, well, what is the, well, how do you possibly have that information to whether a class should be open or closed? So if we like inheritance and people want to use inheritance and extending and so on, then they should be open. Well, that's always been my thinking until now, really. Until now. But, but my, so actually my challenge to you just there, in reality, that underlying class that I'm extending from is an abstract class. So how does, so abstract classes are classes you can't instantiate, yeah. you have to extend them. Yes. So how does that fit within the concept of an abstract class? Should we be using those? Uh, we'll come back to abstract. Okay. 
Possibly. It's difficult, this, isn't it? We'll come back to that, possibly. They're the two schools and two camps, okay. basically. I think C, C++ that Java syntax was based on was closed, interestingly. Right. So when I started in Java, I was just like, wow, brilliant, great. I like the fact that it's open. Just out of interest, if you want an example of a final class in Java, the string class was declared final. Okay. Back in Java 1.0. And has always remained so. And in the early days, so I used to use this as an example when I was teaching Java. In the early days, I used this as an example of why this is a bad thing, making classes final. Because we want to take that string class and we want to extend it and we want to specialize it. And, and actually, if it, I, I confess it's a while since I've picked up Josh Block's book. I've had a good read of it now. So item 17 in Josh Block's book is design and document for inheritance or else prohibit it. Now, Josh Block is, I, I defer, you know, Josh Block is, uh, Josh Block, by the way, was, was, the, uh, was the man who designed the collections API in Java, so linked list and array list and all that kind of thing. He added that in Java 1.2. Before then, it had been an absolute dog's breakfast mess of a, collections library and he improved it and um, on a podcast I won't go I won't go into a detail read the book and he talks very interestingly about how basically when you're writing a, a class if you allow it to be extended it can break in very strange and interesting ways and things that I'd never thought of and he's got some good examples but actually, I'll go all the way back to on our Java Fundamentals course when we teach inheritance. We make this point. Inheritance is coupling. Your worst enemy in software engineering is coupling. So you have class B extends class A. Those two classes are now welded together. Mm. You make a change to class A, you may well break class B. Yes. Now, when you write class A, you have no knowledge of what class B is going to be. You don't know it even exists. And, of course, it's not just class A and class B. You end up with entire forests of inheritance hierarchies all coupled together. So, actually, I've realised, so I've, I've had this, oh, I prefer open inheritance. I don't see why classes should be final. I've realised, abstract aside, we'll come back to abstract, I never, ever use inheritance. Never see our example right. of a bank account, a special bank account. Never, and I call that concrete inheritance to, to distinguish it from abstract yes. classes. Yes. I'm not sure there is a formal term for it, so I call it concrete inheritance. I never ever use concrete inheritance for that reason. And I've realized, oh, right, I'm actually doing this final business. I just don't put it, I don't put yes. it in as a keyword. I'm just careful not to. And it is because it, it sucks as a, a reuse. People, reuse, reuse of inheritance, it sucks. Interestingly, the reason I did it is purely because I would otherwise be repeating lots of code, mm -hmm. which, of course, if this was done in Kotlin, this is the whole point, is you don't have this... You're not writing all this boilerplate code that you've got to reuse. Oh, sure, so but you... But you uh, yeah, if you've got a class and you want to reuse it and, and you reuse some of its proper methods, not yes. its boilerplate, then item 16, and this one is a, an absolutely 
you know, this is one of the fundamentals that's emerged over the last 20 years, is you should favour composition over inheritance. Yes. So the far more powerful way of doing things is for object B to use an instance of object okay. A. And Absolutely. here you've got in B, you've got complete control over the interface. Yes. And we, we can't do it here, but again, check try.kotlin. There's built-in support for, uh, for delegation. So, which again, should be in any modern language. <laughs> C-sharp did it years ago. Uh, there's language level support to allow you to pass through a method call, basically, from, yes. from one object to the other without having to write lots of boilerplate. Yes. So that's just built in. So I kind of realized, although I was bristling last night, oh, they've, made, they've gone for closed inheritance. I've realized, well, I've always favored that as well. And I think it's a very good sign that when people talk about inheritance, concrete inheritance, and you get these stupid shape examples, and we've got a shape and a square and a triangle, or you go the, the It's always insects, isn't it? <laughs> that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. and, by, and, and, I, and, I, and I confess that on our Java Fundamentals course, because we've got to teach it, you've, you know, before you reject these things, you've got to learn them. Um, <laughs> We're doing a, I, I seem to remember we did a library That's and we've right. got special, to, um, you know, we've contrived it. We wouldn't yes. have done it like that. There's usually no, no need for concrete inheritance. Now, abstract classes, that is a different thing. Um, really, what you're gunning for are interfaces, purely abstract. That's just method signatures. It's the implementations that are the, the problem. It's coupling yes. to implementations. So interfaces are okay. Now, abstract classes are sort of halfway house between concrete and interfaces. Yes. And Josh Block talks about skeletal implementations. So in, in his collections API, he, he uses abstract classes a lot. So there'll be right. an abstract list, which is a sort of a midway. He's got his interface at the top. And then his abstract list has got some basic implementations of the very high level functions and then the concrete classes work from the abstract. That's okay, but it's done very mindfully. Right. And I would say for usually for domain modeling, for business purposes, you don't really need all that. I, I can't remember which version of Java this came in, but of course you can now put implementations in an interface, can't you? It can, you? default so, implementations. Yes. So, so yeah, actually that is a good point. I had forgotten about that. I think that's probably a good thing in Java. So yeah, default implementation in an interface, probably removes the need for a lot of skeletal ab abstract yeah. classes. So that's a yeah, good point. Yeah, okay. thanks for reminding me of that. Um, so, and what I actually like about this is, having gone to that talk, that it, it has sort of just fired up this, it gets you thinking again. And, you know, old old habits that I've got into forced me to rethink them. I'm very pleased about that. Good, good. Well, I've got to say, I found that a really interesting conversation. Thank you for that. Now we know. And it feels like we... <laughs> now we know. Now we know. So let's um, maybe just talk a little bit about what we're doing right yeah, now. Yeah, as usual, it's a sort of uh, um, uh, tradition on the podcast that, I mean, I hope that some of what came before would be useful to everybody and anybody working in Java, but then we're going to talk to our customers towards the end of the podcast and talk about what we're working on and what we can expect from virtual pair programmers over the next couple of weeks. Do you want to go first or shall I? Uh, so you've recently released... 
So recently released Timely. Brilliant. Uh, which has had some really nice comments actually from people. There was one guy, I just have to say this because it was really nice. One guy out there who's one of our regular customers um, who has made the point that he's recently started on a new project, had never heard of Timely. Wonderful. And found he was able to get going really quickly. And yeah. it was a project using Timely, obviously. Yeah. So, and it is a, it's a nice thing to use. So yeah. that's nice. Yeah. Um, I've now moved on to starting on, we, we've always wanted to refresh our Java web development course. It's currently the oldest course in the it library. It is indeed. Um, mm, 2009, Yes, I think, I think it was. It's vintage. Um, and it's been this fun, fascinating for me watching it back and seeing, because we, for example, reference websites like Amazon and eBay on it, and actually Amazon hasn't changed much in its layout, yeah, and eBay yeah. has. And it, But it's interesting wow. to see some of that. Um, wow. So the, the course is going to be... Similar to what we had with some new additions and some going into a bit more detail, yeah. the way I'm looking at this course is very much, um, you're never going to build a website using servlets. You're Absolutely. going to use a framework. Yeah. But to actually be really good at whatever framework you're using, you do need to understand what's going on under I the bonnet. So. I think so. Under the hood. So, so this is it's going to be a... It's a debatable point, but yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. Well, do you know what? I think it's a professionalism point. Yeah. You, if you know, if you understand where this started, how the underlying things work, the, the interaction between a servlet and a JSP page, mm -hmm. for example, mm -hmm. to me, that's a, it might not change what you do, but that level of knowledge brings you up a level. It will also give you a very strong reason for why you wouldn't want to use JSPs in a modern well, project because you've got time leaf, but you've, you, learning how JSPs are generated gives you a very good reason to avoid absolutely. them. Absolutely. So I'm currently in my scripting phase for this. So it's going to be, um, I'm looking at a couple of new topics. So hopefully we're going to talk about asynchronous servlets. We're going to talk about web sockets. Yeah. I'm going to mention this. This may or may not make the final cut because I right now don't know anything about it other than that I went to a presentation about this recently, which is something called Progressive Web Apps, mm -hmm. um, which is a way of building more interactive applications that run through the internet. So uh, more than just like a, what you'd think of as a web page, almost like having a proper desktop application, yep. but that it can continue to work even if you're offline. Right. Uh, okay. So, and I believe Twitter's using this. It's particularly good for um, environments where data is, or sorry, transmission of data quantities is restricted. Okay. So third world countries, if you want to create an app or a website that's going to be used where there might not be huge amounts of great quality data connectivity, mm -hmm. this is the way to go. Right. So I, I don't know at this stage whether there are Java frameworks for it, so I'm being a bit hesitant, but if there is, I'd like to have a look at that. Um, and then we'll do a light touch on a couple of frameworks just to get a sense of I don't know which framework you might need to use. Obviously, we cover Spring in a lot of detail. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be doing a refresh of the JSF part for Java EE. But, mm -hmm. you know, we'll probably pick a couple just to have a quick look at, uh, just enough to get you started. But really, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know what framework you're going to use. If you're going to use one we've not covered, well, hopefully it's a framework you, yeah. know, you can get quickly started in. So There's so many of them that it's very difficult to... And, and the figures is. aren't that easy. We've got a few... <laughs> There's a few sites that show you the yes. percentage. I noticed that GWT was very high up on the list. And I thought that had uh, gone away quite well, a bit. Well, that, that list also had Grails very high up. And I, I it might well be widely used. Yeah. Um, but as I say, it's not being... I would be surprised if it's being widely used today for new projects. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. But anyway, we'll, we'll pick a couple, as I say. But this is more of a... I've got in my head, this is very much more of a let's fill in the gaps in knowledge type yeah. course. It's an entry-level course and it should mm. it should remain so. So I'd say if the WebSockets thing does get a bit complicated, I would just cut that out and make a standalone course on it. Um, you know, I, I don't well, get stuck on it. And... No, the original course didn't cover Ajax, but we covered it in one of our other courses. It's so, on Spring MVC. Yeah. Yes. So I, I'm putting in Ajax at the same level of, it's a different example, but at the same level of complexity as we covered it in the Spring MVC Great. course. My belief is I can do WebSockets at that same sort of level. Okay. So it's not going to be everything you'd ever want to know about WebSockets. Yeah. It's enough to get you started. That, that's my goal here. Just wear that course. So yeah, oldest course, nearly 10 years old now. Incredible. Course, and it's, it's done well. Um, and things, things at that fundamental level don't change that no. much. They don't move on. You know, we've had people saying, when are you going to cover serverless 3? Well, we're not that interested. It's no, and actually, the, you know, other than the asynchronous bit, which mm -hmm. is came in serverless 3, I don't think I've spotted anything else. Well, there's the web.xml. The fact you can run without web.xml is a... Oh, of course, yes. And we do cover that, that. Yeah, moving there, to the yeah. annotation-based um, Which I know excites some people. <laughs> So that's, that's good. It will be good to good to refresh that. So that will make our Spring MVC course then the oldest in the library. And this is a problem we have. We, it's a bit like, uh, I'm going to use a UK expression of painting the fourth bridge, that you're just constantly going round and we're going to have to keep refreshing all the old yes. courses. And it's, how do we make new courses if we're still working on the old ones? And I guess we have to abandon some, don't we? And we do. I mean, we, we abandoned the old... Uh, we had some courses for Java EE on running Java EE 6 on yes. the Glassfish web server, yeah. which we had to replace. We were running... We, we were always in the process of replacing them and we've got some courses on Java E7 with Wildfly live on the site right now. Mm -hmm. But we actually had to abandon the, there was one bit we haven't yet done, which is the JSF part. Yeah. We've had to abandon it purely because it's not compatible with Java 8. And every time a customer went to use it, they were really struggling to get it right. to work. Um, so I am, once web development's finished, I am promising you, a, it'll be a very short module on JSF planning just simply JSF prime faces and I'll touch on Java security because we've not covered that either. Very quick, just That's, to get it done. It can't be short enough. It's not possible. Well, to... And you know what? <laughs> I've had so few customers asking yeah. for it, but... Yeah. I'm conscious it's a gap, and I'd like to just fill that gap. Mm, so yeah. that's my plan, uh, oh, okay. but I won't give you a date on that one. All right. <laughs> and uh, so I'm working on Docker still. Um, I have a sense I have a lot of angry customers scream, screaming at me for it. You're telling me, no, it's fine, really. But um, Well, no, we have got yeah. some customers. They're not I, angry and they're not screaming, but they're asking. So <laughs> it, it has. Um, I, I, I've hit some really horrible problems, not with Docker, you know, Docker's great. It's really fun to work with, and I hope the course will be fun to um, will, will be fun to to watch. Um, but as usual with virtual pair programmers, we're not we we, do, we don't just want to rehash. You can go on the Docker Docker.io page, and there's a tutorial on Docker, and you know you can get going a bit like Kotlin. Um, we need to add more. We need we need some more you know, some deeper stuff, and this is how you get something working on a production stack. And it's when you start doing that, you start hitting problems. So I've lost a week. Pretty much the entirety of the last week was stuck. And all I was trying to do was deploy a stack of Docker containers to Amazon EC2 instances, um, a natural thing to do. And um, it just simply wouldn't work. And every time I got to a solution, 
it wasn't that. That wasn't the problem. There was, there was lots of minor problems that weren't quite right. And it, it took all that time to get to, I still don't know the exact reason, but it's something to do with the subnet. So the subnet was misconfigured, which, you know, oh, really painful, really nasty. It's something to do with the Docker defaults don't work well on, on EC2. Now, someone with more intelligence than me would have said, why are you doing all that? Why don't you just use Amazon ECS, which is a built-in service to Amazon, Elastic Container Service, and you can just do it. It's a wizard. Click, 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 and there you are. You've got a Docker stack. Well, I don't want that. I want people to know how you do it manually, mm. how, you know, how all this stuff works without relying on big brother Amazon doing it all for you. Great, by all means, once you understand it, go over to Amazon. But, you know, we want to teach people how to, how to stand for, their own, for themselves. Absolutely, yeah. So it's kind of like we have to go through that pain so that our customers don't have to, which is a bit of a marketing message, I suppose. But, you know, in reality, our customers are going to find their own set of problems as well that they've got to go through. So there's going to be a video on that course, definitely, which is, right, I've got a problem. How are we going to solve this? And we'll, you know, we'll go through that entire war story. Um, so that's a waffly way of saying I am delayed for that, those kinds of reasons. Uh, the, I think on the previous podcast, I said this is probably the plan anyway. I've got to release something. Um, so... I think what I'll do is I will release a basic Docker course. This is how you run a container. This is how you push a container to Docker Hub. The basics. And we'll just release that as a warm-up. So there will be a lot of people saying, come on, we can do more than this. But I think they'll... I mean, my, in my head, I'm imagining that everybody's already using Docker and it will, <laughs> everyone will be, well, that's rubbish. Uh, but I think a lot of customers will find that a nice, good, useful, gentle introduction. And then in part two, which, I mean, it's written, and I've got the stack running, and I've, um, we'll be using the Fleetman application that we used in the microservice course, which I have improved a little bit. I've made it look nicer, and I've used Timeleaf on the front end, oh, thanks good. to your excellent good. course. Um, but I don't want people to get... I mean, it was the, the microservice course was too hard, frankly, and I don't want people to get in that mire again. So basically, we'll have some pre-configured containers already containing the running system and you'll just download those containers so it will be an easy, a gentler course to, to to work on okay um but yeah so the part two will be a little bit more this is docker in the field so that's where we'll do docker swarm docker stacks and all that kind of good stuff so it's coming very soon i'm not going to put a date on it but the website says Released in July, so that should be okay. We should okay. be released in we July for that now. first part. Okay. The second part will, will shouldn't be too long afterwards. Okay. We we might hold on to it if you if you've got a release coming, we might yeah. just stagger it a bit. Okay. I mean, just just to make it clear to people, if it's not obvious, you know, we are very much about making sure we understand it and we can get it working. We're not here to regurgitate books yeah. and just teach you what we learned. So. Um, Everything we do, we are creating our own projects first. If it's not something we've already know, yep. um, you know, the Time Leaf I created, I had a, just a need to create a new system. So I thought, well, I'll do that in Time Leaf. It's a great way to learn it. You find mm -hmm. all the pitfalls that way, mm -hmm. which actually, to me, what we're about is, yeah, taking the pain away, but also getting you up to speed quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and we can only do that if we go through the level of pain ourselves. So yep. if you are out there waiting, apologies, but it will be worth it when it comes. Uh, it might not be. 
We'll see. <laughs> well, I'm, that's a really positive way to we'll wrap up. We'll let the up, market decide. We'll let the customers decide. I'm sure it will be brilliant. Great. Okay. Well, I think we're probably getting close to our time. I've cut off. Fantastic. Points, yes. So, so the next podcast will be in two weeks this time because this will not have to be checked by the lawyers. Um, well, it might be sooner than that if we get the okay back from Amazon, of course. Oh, so we'll right. So that we one we could we could use as a yeah. All right. Well, we'll 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 keep the numbering as we said. So that will be number four. This is number five, but yeah. they'll probably be released in not quite the right order. Yeah. But number six will be in two weeks. Yes, so around about Whatever happens to number four, we'll do number six in two weeks. Absolutely. Good. And um, around that time, Spring 5 is close to being real. I don't think it's actually out yet, but it's the reactive framework is going to be the big deal in that. So, so we need to talk reactive. Reactive in the next one. Good. I look forward to that. So we'll see you. <laughs> we'll speak to you next time. Next time. Thanks for listening if you've been with us. And, of course, as always, got any suggestions, things you'd like us to talk about, Anything you want to say, please do contact us via the webpage. That would be great. We can't return any of your letters. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>